And this is Paul. And this is Wayne. Well, I ha- abandoned the city of New Orleans t- this week. I was there on a, on a work trip, and I got out of there like a Savage Worlds game ending. I w- the, the plane was on fire. People were screaming. Things were exploding behind us. But I escaped, Paul. I made good my escape. You rolled correctly. I did. I did. Mm-hmm. Well, good job. We were worried about... I mean, I don't know that I could say we were worried about you. But I noticed the weather, and I'm like, huh. Aaron mentioned something about rain in New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it flooded uh, pretty hard while I was there on Wednesday. And uh, you know, it's funny because the... That we were at this conference center, and uh, my room was on the 21st floor, and the conference itself was being held on the 8th floor. And so, you know, I really wasn't aware that the first level had flooded. <laughs> 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 you know, the water's coming into the lobby and whatnot, but uh, uh, it closed a lot of businesses yeah. on uh, down there in the French Quarter in downtown. And what I found interesting was it was the local mom and pop businesses that closed, not because like their store had flooded, but because their employees couldn't get there because, yeah. you know, all of the, all the adjacent roads. But the big chains, you know, had uh, were able to get their staff there. So, it, you know, you don't go to New Orleans to eat at Fogo de Chow. You go to New Orleans to eat at, you know, Cafe Du Monde or yeah. uh, one of the other local establishments, and all those places were, were, were locked up tight. Ah. So, so you know, I ordered a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> he had it delivered. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the case of uh, – it wasn't that they couldn't get their people there. It was that they understood and didn't want their people to be, uh, you know, at risk where the big chains are like, fuck, fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you, people. Yeah. You show up yeah, or you're that- fired. Yeah, that's 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 probably got a lot more to do with it now that you mention it. You know, but, uh, I, um, okay. the 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 airplane, you know, we're, we're boarding the plane and you can see this gigantic bank of just black clouds rolling our direction. And you know how how uh, you get in one of those sold out flights and everyone's just taking their goddamn time to to get in their seat. Mm-hmm. And the pilot and the pilot comes on. He's like, ladies, and gentlemen, I really need you to get your seat so that we can get this plane off the ground. You know, I mean, it was just like, you know, pick your seat, sit down, let's go. Because uh, there, the the whole, all the news was coming that they were going to start delaying flights. Yeah. And, you know, it was like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care about your bag. Sit the fuck down. Yeah. You know, I, I went to New Orleans for the first time last November. Um, and I was there for a conference. And it was, it was an all-day conference. So I didn't get to spend as much time in the city as I would have liked. Right. But it seems like a cool place. It's a bummer that you were—I uh, don't know if you've yeah, been I there before, but you didn't get to experience I, much of it. Yeah, I—I've I, been there. I've been there a couple of times before, and I really like New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the 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 great thing about New Orleans is again all the local fare, not you know the the big commercial yeah. uh, chains and whatnot, which I find you know it really disturbing to see how much national retail and national uh, restaurants have opened up downtown. But uh, I didn't – I mean I might as well have been in the La Quinta Inn in Amarillo, Texas for as much as I saw of New Orleans while I yeah. was there. Yeah, it's one of those things I think uh, all of us, quite a bit of our tra- – well, maybe not Paul. He travels for fun more. The rest of us, most of our travel seems to be for work. And right. while there's a lot of cool things in each of these locations we go to, we spend our time doing the work thing. And then after hours, there's not a lot left to do. 
exactly. you're not stuck working even after hours. Well, and that was my thing is that, you know, I was at a, in a conference all day and then at night, you know, you're it's not like your day job turns off just because you've gone to a conference. So I was back in my hotel room answering emails and, you know, finishing up uh, other projects. So the night that I had planned on, you know, this is the night I'll set aside to uh, go out was the night that everything was flooded. So, and even though the, the water had receded from the streets, people still couldn't get to their jobs. Yeah. So anyway, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back. I'm, the wife and I are talking about going back later this year, but uh, uh, it was disappointing. I, I had really had it in my head to, to have some, some beignets and some jambalaya and maybe a little crawfish etouffee. And maybe a hooker or two. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> that would be rude not to, Paul. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's and, hard. That'll be harder provided, to do with I said, that'll be harder to do when you go back with your wife. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, did you did you read anything interesting on your travels? You know, I always pick up, like, extra books, uh-huh. comics or something, like, oh, I'm going to read this on the flight, that kind of thing. Or did you well, just did, read this week's comics? Uh, you know, I uh, one of the nice things, the only nice thing about uh, going, go, being, spending so much time in the airport and on the plane is that you get to get caught up, yeah. you know, and that was what I did is I got caught up on a, on a bunch of comics. But let me add one thing that I, I will complain about. And I do not understand this. Um, I hate airports. Oh, Universally, yeah. I just hate them. Uh, it is a it, it's like being trapped in the worst mall. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because even sometimes when you go to a mall, at least sometimes there's some food you're interested in. Not in an airport. But 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 rarely is there decent food in the airport. Well, there was a, there was a uh, uh, I guess a local New Orleans restaurant uh, in the airport. And I'm like, oh, thank God. I'll, I'll, I'll have the jambalaya pasta. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I order my I, I, you know, I queue up and I I'd like the jambalaya pasta, please. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry. We only serve that at lunch. And I look at my watch and it's 1215. I said, well, it's 1215. And he goes, yeah, we don't start serving lunch till one. The hell? And I'm like, what? <laughs> he goes, yeah, yeah. You can order from this menu over here. They're still serving breakfast. At that makes no sense. Yeah, no, it's the craziest fucking thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and he's like, would you like to order something else? No. <laughs> <laughs> I want to order lunch at lunchtime. Yeah. I was just like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. That's weird. Yeah, it was really weird. I, I do not understand that. I don't know if that was maybe they had their 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 shipment came in late because of the weather, but he didn't. He provided no additional explanation, and there was nothing on the menu that I saw that said you know only served after one. The hmm. explanation is we don't start serving lunch till one, and I'm like, this is the craziest fucking thing I've ever heard. That is odd for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, so speaking of odd things, I sworn a lot. I'm I'm done. <laughs> I, I've gotten all I've gotten all my f's out. I don't know. We're just getting started. We haven't even started on the outline of our of our show. <laughs> so we talked a little while back, and I wanted to mention it because it's on sale now. I think uh, for five ninety nine for the 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 whole volume. Um, how it, this very odd movie um, has been greenlit. Uh, a sequel to Django Unchained. Um, you know, if you if you've seen the Quentin Tarantino movie Django Unchained, uh, you know with Jamie Foxx and Leonardo DiCaprio and the other dude whose name I never remember. Um, you know, it it's not a film that necessarily lends itself to a sequel. Have, have either of you seen that movie? I have not. 
No. What? Oh my gosh. I keep meaning to, but I just never never have gotten around now, to it. To be fair, it took me like two years to finally watch it. I missed it in theaters and then like one day had an extra three hours and watched it. And it's really yeah, damn cause good. Because it's, it's a long film, right? Yeah, I mean it's a Tarantino film, so it's a you know, Tarantino length movie. Um but you know, it it is about um a freed slave who becomes a bounty hunter, essentially, is what the movie is about. Right. And so Quentin Tarantino co-wrote a comic book sequel to it called Django Zorro. It's a, a team-up book with Django and Zorro, Quentin, written by Quentin Tarantino and Matt Wagner. Um, and it's out from Dynamite Comics. It's on sale right now, like I said, I think for five ninety nine, uh, which I guess neither of you guys would have an interest since you haven't seen the movie. But um, apparently they're making a movie of it. I had heard that. I find it that unusual, and I, I've picked up the volume because I'm looking forward to reading it when I next have an opportunity to, you know, read like a six-issue miniseries. Now, is Tarantino going to direct this one as well? I don't know that he's going to direct it. I think he's involved no. in the writing, you know, because he's on his whole, like, I only have ten movies in me streak. Yeah, that's um, weird. So I think he, and we're about to get the ninth, which I think is Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood. Right. Um, so we'll, I, 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 and, the, and the tenth may be Star Trek. It, it could be. Even though I, I don't think so, he said Star Trek wasn't part of his ten, um, oh. but he would be inter- but he he would forego his ten in order to to direct it if the opportunity arose. So, from a rights standpoint, is Zorro public domain at this point? I believe it is. Okay, because that's what I was wondering: is how do they get the rights to both? Yeah, I I think it is. You know, but at the same time, it it's not I, like I, everyone makes Zorro comics, so it can't be. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think it's in public domain. I think there is a a Zorro trust, if you will, and they had to license it. Hmm. But you know, it's been a number of years since they've made you know an Antonio Banderas Zorro movie. Yeah. Uh, and you know, why the hell not? If you can get Tarantino's name on it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I really I love the character of Zorro. You know, I love the yeah. I love those, I those heroes of, you know, the, the yesteryear that you just don't see prevalent anymore, like the Shadow and. And the Phantom and Zorro, and I love those characters. And um, I, I, I actually really liked the Antonio Banderas movies more the first than the second. Yeah, but I, I would be very, very glad to see them do something with that character on the big screen. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I picked up the book. I'll let you guys know how it is. I'm, I'm going to try to read it either uh, this week or next. Paul has assigned reading. I do. We'll expect I... your book report. <laughs> Well, and we're about to talk about um, this week's new uh, Batman book from Brian Michael Bendis. But before we did, uh, you know, it, it's a very quiet news week, the week before Comic-Con, because everyone's saving up their uh, their announcements. It's the quiet before the storm, Paul. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. We're about to we're going to get hit. We're going to get flooded with news pretty much starting Wednesday, the day before Comic-Con, because some of them will release it like a day or two early to not get lost. Right. Um but one of the things that did get released, and I think it's because solicitations are coming for October soon, um, is that John Carpenter, the director, uh, writer of films like Halloween and The Thing and In the Mouth of Madness and a whole bunch of other films, um, nothing good in the last 20 years, but still, um, you know, John Carpenter will be co-writing uh, a Joker comic book later this year. Um, and, you know, there, there were actually like three or four different uh, books that were announced this week from DC Comics as part of their Black Label imprint. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Jeff Lemire is going to be doing a question book and a Joker book. Um, I think there's a a Harley or uh, a Harley book um, written and drawn by Stepan Sayich. 
Uh, so a whole bunch of stuff is coming from DC's mature readers line, but this is not one of those. This is actually going to be um, part of the Year of the Villain storyline. So mm. yeah, I find it interesting that they brought in this big Hollywood guy to write a, a, a story pretty much having to do with their big crossover event. Hmm. But I, you know, I, I, I did forget to, to put on the outline that Jeff Lemire is doing a question book. Um, I, you know, I'm really hit and miss with Jeff Lemire. I, I am too, but you know, it's um, got art by Dennis Cowan and Bill uh, Sienkiewicz. Yeah. Um, which I'm I, also I, hit and miss with Bill Sienkiewicz. <laughs> as am I. Yeah. But you know, I'm, I'm intrigued. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like a, a, like an homage to the different eras of the question. Right. Throughout history, so. and I do love I do love the question. So. Yeah. Oh, that makes it even more interesting if it's to the different eras. Yeah, I think that's why the, they have the artists that they do. So, I'm, 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 you know, DC's got a lot of interesting stuff coming on coming later this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the, well, that Black Label imprint. I think, I think DC's having a good year. I think you know, so too. I, I'm really enjoying many of the books that they're putting out. I think Marvel's having a rough year, honestly, with because yeah, I don't I I didn't see a single damn article about how War of the Realms ended. I was curious. I'm like, how did it end? Like this well, big this big yeah. ten year event that they've been building up to, and I haven't read a damn thing about it well, since the they, first issue. And they launched the last arc in Jason Aaron's Thor stories yeah. this week. And I, you know, I, I I took a look at the preview pages, and that looked like crap to me. Yeah. Even though that artist is listed as one of Marvel's young guns, yeah, right. Uh, I it, number one, I'd like to point out that every artist that they listed in the, in that young guns freebie that they gave away on Comicsology this yeah. week, uh, all those guys seem to have been around for a while. Yeah, I mean, they've been around for years. Russell Dodderman, yeah. Aaron Cooter. I mean, these guys. Aaron Cooter was doing the freaking uh, Batman Incorporated book. Right. Years ago with uh, right. Grant Morrison. Yeah. No, I mean, I just I was I was really struggling with. Um, so young is how old now? Yeah. <laughs> young is how long in the field now? I mean, well, I guess when uh, the average age is probably 50s, <laughs> <laughs> you know, these these are the, the young guns. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was amused by that. Um, but I got to tell you, I. I don't feel like they're giving Jason Aaron the best artists for his books. And I don't understand that. I don't, I don't, I, I have not cared for much of the artwork in the Thor books uh, for years now. Yeah. Since Esad Ribbit, basically. Yeah. I yeah. like Russell Dodderman, but he's as much as I like Russell Dodderman, his two page spreads are amazing, but he has pages that just look like garbage. Well, and a lot of that's got to do with the fact that they're pairing him up with colorists who aren't bringing his art up. Yeah. You know, a colorist can really raise the quality of your work or it can really bring it down. And, you know, I'm certain that the colorist and the artist are working together going, this is, this is cool, right? Uh, I just don't think it is. I, I, I don't care for, for where a lot of that has gone. And that's I love Thor. Thor is one of my favorite characters. Thor was one of my first superheroes when I, when I came over to Marvel mm -hmm. back when I was a boy. So, I mean, you know, I am predisposed to enjoying Thor, but the artwork has been a barrier for me in that comic. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful for because, you know, there, it's his last arc on Thor, but then he has that King Thor miniseries. I'm, I'm right. going to check out the first issue and see how the art looks. Um, yeah, yeah. Because I, I like the character of King Thor. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. I don't know about it. But, you know, while we're on the subject of artists, um, that does kind of bring to mind this, this week's first book. 
which is Batman Universe number one, mm-hmm. um, with art by Nick Darrington. Now, I'm not familiar with Nick Darrington. He may be a young gun. Uh, he's not one of Marvel's <laughs> young guns. Um, all, all I know of him is that I believe he did the covers for the Tom King, Mitch Jarrett's Mr. Miracle book. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, some of those covers were fantastic. But I got to say, like, his art in Batman Universe number one, I think is spectacular. Oh, I love this artwork. I, I thought this was a great story, and I, and I, and I thought the story was uh, visually told well. Yeah. I really dug. I really dug uh, both the transitions from panel to panel. Uh, you know, because there's a lot of unspoken on the page. That I thought the artist did a great job communicating. Which is funny because yeah, it's a Bendis book, <laughs> right? Yeah. One thing I think they really need to do for these particular books, the Batman Universe, the Superman one, the ones that are in Walmart, basically. Yeah. Uh, you're appealing. You're telling potentially out of continuity stories. You're appealing to the general audience. You need to have a crisp, clean art that is, you know, they they couldn't have gone with anyone stylized. And I think they did a good job on both books of picking an art that is a little bit more you know, mainstream. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He, his style reminds me a lot of Matt Wagner. You know, that's the second time I brought I up Matt Wagner. But, um, yeah. you know, that that his, you know, the art on Grendel and he, he actually did, you know, a couple but, of arcs on Batman. And, you know, one of the things I like about the way Matt Wagner draws Batman is that Batman looks human, yeah. right? He looks like a guy in a suit, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is very much the way uh, Darrington draws Batman in this book. He looks like a guy in a suit. He doesn't look super heroic. He certainly looks like he's fit, yeah. right? But there's almost a Adam West sort of look to this Batman because he yeah. looks like a guy in a suit. And I really dug that. You know, that 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 is that's kind of my Batman, not necessarily Adam West, but a more Batman year one kind of look. Yeah. Right? The one character design I didn't like was Riddler. I didn't just, the way he was drawn or the way he was told? The way he was drawn. It just it may have been because there were so many other Riddlers in the story uh-huh. that he just didn't stand out as being the real Riddler. Yeah, he has that you know that Clockwork Orange inspired look exactly. to him in this book. Um, yeah. So just a, a brief uh, note: Batman Universe number one. Uh, we had spoken last week about how Superman Up in the Sky was the start of the collections of the the Walmart books. Um, that one was by Tom King and Andy Kubert. This one's by Brian Michael Bendis and Nick Darrington. And I will say, unlike the the Superman book, which feels a little dark for, for something that's, you know, something that's intended uh-huh. to be picked up by kids at a Walmart. Um, this is, yeah, there's, a, there's you know, Riddler has a bloody nose at the end. But this feels like a fun, oh God. easy entry I book. At, I laughed out loud several times in this yeah. book. Uh, yeah. the, the the image of the Batmobile running into a rolling into a small town was yeah. fucking hysterical. <laughs> yeah, I loved all of the back and forth between Batman and Alfred, uh-huh. and the oh, yeah. other characters commenting on that. It's like, are you talking to me? Uh, the the one that I particularly enjoyed, Wayne, was the uh, when uh, Deathstroke shows up. And Alfred's like, uh, you know, it said that he uses 95% of his brain. And Batman's like, well, why are you telling me that? Well, I don't think you use that much. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I like Ginny Hex, you know, where yeah. he's like, you donated a Fabergé egg worth $15 million. And she's like, would you pay me $15 million for it? He's like, well, not me. She's like, well, then it's not worth $15 million, is it? 
Yeah, I really like Jimmy Hex's character. I never saw her before that first issue of uh, that new Teen Titans book that none of us are reading. Yeah, Young Justice. Oh, uh, yeah, Young Justice. And I'd like to read more about her, just not in that Young Justice book. I really liked her here. I mean, she was a – she's funny. She's interesting. I, I'm i looking forward to seeing her more because, you know, this isn't the end of her part of the story. It can't be. No. Yeah. I, I loved this book. I, I genuine. This is the Batman book I want to read. Um, you know, because I I did get caught up on Batman this week for some reason. I don't know why the fuck I keep buying it. Um, but you know, I, I got caught up through issue seventy four of Tom King's Batman book, and the last three issues have been basically, um, you know, Thomas Wayne from the Flashpoint universe taking Bruce Wayne through the desert towards a Lazarus pit because he wants to resurrect Martha Wayne. Um, and I won't ruin the ending of it. That, that seems like a really bad idea. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, spoiler warning, it doesn't happen. Um, oh. Shocker, <laughs> right? Uh, but, you know, I mean, it, it's not bad, but, you know, it's such a stark contrast from this Batman universe book that, like, it just reminds me why I struggle to continue reading this book. And again, we I like Tom King. I do. But it's why I struggle to read Batman 74 versus this Batman universe book that's just... I could pick it up. It's light. It's fun. Yeah. It's ad- it's adventurous. I'm curious about the mystery and the story. I, I genuinely enjoyed it. And I like Riddler. I think it's a great first villain for this book because, yeah. you know, it, he's just one of those interesting characters where he can be either done really horribly and corny or he can be a real cerebral villain. Well, I like what they've done in recent years since the Batman Arkham video games that all of a sudden Deathstroke has become a Batman villain. Right. Because he, you know, he wasn't. (laughs) Um, So I like that he's now become a Batman villain because, like, I really like watching those two fight. And I think they it was, you know, well choreographed art wise, you know, fight between them in this book. You know, I would love to have a conversation with Bendis one of these days mm-hmm. about his process for uh, diving into DC continuity and you know the, the DC backstory because he's handling some of these characters just phenomenally well. And you know, when you've eaten and breathed, uh, you know, Marvel for so long, I just I'm curious as to how he, you know, dove in. You know, how, how how he absorbed all this knowledge to make sure he's handling these characters correctly. Love yeah. to know what that process is. Yeah. So I want to touch on something at the back of the book. The Did you guys read the preview for Batman Superman number one? I yes. am not reading it because I'm going to buy that book and I, and I just would rather read it. I, I hate preview pages for that reason. Okay. So in my case, I had no intention of buying Batman Superman number one because I haven't read any of the – other than the initial story, I haven't read any of the Batman Who Laughs stuff. Mm-hmm. And I had zero interest in it. And this, these few pages, and especially that big give at the end of the preview, I'm going to pick up number one now. Yeah, it looks good. Specifically because of the preview pages. And the art is beautiful. Um, So I'm looking forward to it. I've been enjoying the Batman Who Laughs uh, series that's leading up to it. I don't think you'll need to have read it. Um, it, it, I think they actually hinted at it in some other book and I don't remember what it was that basically the Batman who laughs is will be infiltrating the the heroes I think it's all part of this year of the villain thing so uh, but I'm looking forward to the book I'll definitely pick it up when it comes out 
Um, well, I, I, I thought Batman Universe is where it's at, and I agree with you, Paul. You know, if if you're not happy with the other stuff going on in the Bat books, pick up Batman Universe because it uh, it's very much don't have to know current continuity. Uh, well, you, it tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, and one of the great things about the Superman and Batman books that are coming out in Walmart, reading them here, you know they're not going to cross over. Yeah. yeah. They're not going to do a crossover in one of the Walmart books. So, you know, one of the frustrating things sometimes is you start reading a book and you start enjoying it and then it gets pulled into crossover after crossover and derailed. That's not going to happen with these. Well, actually, funny you mentioned that um, because Superman number 13 came out this week. It's another Bender's book. Um, and, you know, Aaron had revealed recently on one of our episodes that he's been reading Superman. Uh, he never stopped reading Superman, but I hopped out somewhere around issue seven. Well, I got caught up this week, uh, you know, through issue thirteen, um, which is a Year of the Villain tie tie-in. And for anyone who's reading any of the DC in continuity books this month, um, the Year of the Villain thing is basically the the tie-in this month is basically Lex Luthor popping up at the last page of every book and offering someone something. Um, and in this in this book, he he pops up to offer Lois Lane something. We don't know what it is yet, uh, but usually he's just offering things to villains. So it's interesting that it's Lois Lane that's getting the offer. Um, but this is the continuation of the House of L storyline uh, from the, the the Unity Saga, the House of L, um, which features uh, the the, the, living, the surviving members of the House of L: Superman, Super uh, Jonathan, Kent. Uh, and Supergirl and technically Crypto teaming up to fight Rogel Czar um, and, and uncover the mystery of what happened to Krypton, how um, Jor-El was involved in it. And in this the seventh issue of this storyline um, very much involved that that back matter, that 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 uh, flashback uh, to Krypton and and John and excuse me Jor-El's um, attempts to prevent the destruction of Krypton, as well as his meeting with the secret cabal. Um, oh, you mean the Illuminati? The Illuminati, yeah. the the DC Illuminati, um, uh, made up of you know like a guardian and like um, someone from um, who's uh, the the Adam Strange planet. I don't remember. Right. The, um, uh, Zen, I want to say Zen Law. Ron. That's not right. Yeah. Ron. 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 Yeah. yeah. Ron. Um, I think there's probably there's Thanagarian in there. Um, right. So, you know, it's basically them. And, you know, they, they kind of like they, they're a secret cabal, but they're basically like the United Nations of planets or something. Um, you know, like, hey, I need your help. And the other planets are like, ah, you know, well, we're not going like to help the, you. <laughs> they're like the U.N. If the U.N. made decisions of who lives and who dies. Essentially. Right. Yeah. Because this is the same cabal that decided uh, and we haven't seen the details yet, but apparently decided to let Rogel Zar's planet die. Yeah. Right. And uh, Rogel Zar blamed Krypton for that for whatever reason, specifically Jor-El. And uh, so that's why he's got a beef on about Krypton. Yeah. And I think we'll find out more about that in the next issue. Uh, and we find out that there are at least two people on the Cabal that are involved in the death of Krypton. Yes. So. Um, and we find out that one of them apparently is Jewish because yeah, uh, that really bothered me. God, I, me too. I, I, I know so that much. That's, that's been just being funny. But, you know, the line like, hey, I'm missing my kids bar mitzvah. And yeah. I'm like, I, you know, way to way to break the mood. 
Yeah, <laughs> you know? that 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 line specifically really bugged me. I was like, yeah. "Why, man?" Like, now, and I I I read that line and I looked at the character's face because I'm like, uh-huh. I, like I had to, I basically had to justify that line to myself because in uh-huh. theory, Krypton's destruction, as much as we, you know, talk about it, really, what in DC continuity really wasn't that long ago in human years, right? Right. Um, so, and because because you know, if Kara Zor-El aged, you know, the Krypton's well, you know, destruction was probably only like twenty, thirty years ago, or thirty the, years ago, the, I would guess. In the in the manner in which it's been handled in some stories, it happened a very long time ago, and because of time dilation and space travel, yeah, you know, uh, n- neither uh, uh, Clark or Kara aged meaningfully in the time that they traveled. But in this timeline for DC, I mean, you're right. It happened, you know, 25 years ago, maybe. Yeah, but maybe 30, right? Because Superman as a kid, you know. I I would say maybe 30 because Supergirl always, something always happens on her trip to make her not age as much. Yeah. Because she she was alive for Krypton, yet she's so much younger than Superman. So when you think right. about it that way, 30 years ago, if this character has some tie to Jewish history or something, like this is me justifying it in my head. I'm like, well, it's only oh, you're 30. saying space Jews? I'm saying, saying they're space Jews. Uh-huh. I'm saying 30, because I'm like, 30 years ago, there were bar mitzvahs. It's not like we're talking 2,000 years ago. Is this where we cut to Mel Brooks's Jews in <laughs> space? We might this, have to. This song is already stuck in my head. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's that's basically how I justified that line to myself. I'm like, well, it was only 30 years ago, maybe. I'm like, but God, it was so. Other than that, I actually genuinely, um, you know, I'm glad that Aaron is stuck stuck with the book because hopping back in, I've actually really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the tag team of uh, Brandon Peterson and Ivan Rice. Brandon Peterson does the Krypton stuff. Ivan Rice doing the, the the current day stuff. And Ivan Rice, I mean, basically whenever Ivan Rice draws the book, he does like one page spreads of Superman fighting aliens in space. And they're freaking gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I actually said, you know, I wouldn't say I love it, but I am enjoying the book. See, can I tell I you just... what I really dislike about the book, Paul? What? And it's, it's, this is not the first time I've had this issue with the Superman story, but it's that his mother, Lara, mm-hmm. contributes absolutely nothing. Yeah. She, in this book, all she is, is the mother of Superman. Uh, she is a nurturer, but she has no skills, talent, or anything else uh, that bring her that, that that assign any nobility or virtue to her. All she is is concerned about about her son. And hey, that's important. You know, we we need nurturers in our lives, but she doesn't have the accomplishments. And you know, there's a comment made to Jor El in the book, like you had a kid, why? You know, so there's still that that you know Kryptonian conceit of you know. We don't really have kids, right? You know, yeah. we we you know we produce them you know through some non-sexual thing, and you know she Laura seems like a a lovely person in this book, but she doesn't have any other accomplishments that we see, and I just that bugs the shit out of me, and we never hear ever hear Superman talk about his mother the way he talks about his father. 
he always talks about the nobility of Jorel and how learned Jorel is. And I, I, and it just bugs me that we never hear that or rarely hear that about Laura. You know, that's one of the things that I'll compliment the Man of Steel on is that in the comic books around Man of Steel, Laura was a badass. Yeah. In the uh, – in the, uh, I want to say the Jeff Johns stories, mm-hmm. Laura was a badass. Yeah. Um, but we don't see that here, and we largely do not see that in much of the of the continuity. Certainly, Superman is very close to his Terran mother, you know, to Martha. Yeah. But we don't see, you know, e- even in Superman stories where he doesn't have a, li- a, a living biological parent like he does in the Bendis continuity – He's always closer to the memory of his father rather than to the memory of his mother. And that always bugs me. Yeah. So I still, I still haven't been reading the Superman stories. And a big part of that is I really hated Rogelzar. But besides yeah. that, I don't like the idea of Krypton having been destroyed. Murdered. Yeah. Because part of what I always liked about it was that, you know, I like the – there's been a lot of different here's why Krypton was destroyed stories. Right. And some of them, the ones I like the best, are mistakes having been made in the warlike past of Krypton that have then led to the eventual destruction. Those are the stories I like best, that it was their own undoing, their own yeah. hubris. Well, and the idea of being taken out by an alien, it that doesn't appeal to me for the story. Well, I will say, they've not confirmed, right? So at this point in the storyline, it's still... You know, th- there is a conspiracy going on, but as far as Jor-El knows, there's this odd seismic activity and the Cabal, which I don't remember the name, but let's call them the Council, you know, um, is basically, you know, his, his his pleas for help have fallen on deaf ears. And, you know, he's all, he, he wants to evacuate the planet and they're like, no, sorry, we can't help you. We can't accept that many people. You can bring your family, but we can't take all of Krypton. Um, yeah. But as I mean, far as Europe he knows... Saying- it's Europe saying we can't handle your refugees. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So it, it, so it's basically it, right now there's there is an understanding that there there's something more that people are aware of more. Um, and Rogelzar says, I'm the person who killed Krypton. But we haven't actually seen that happen yet. It may we may see it next issue. Right. Next issue is the big conclusion. Um, but, you know, as far as we know, Rogelzar has something to do with it. But he it hasn't been confirmed that he actually did the destruction of Krypton, and it certainly seems like there was already things happening in the planet even before he came along. Okay, so with all this talk about Krypton and uh, the mention of Ron, are either of you watching Krypton? I am two episodes behind, but yes, I, I am watching it. I, I have n- I have yet to finish season one. Okay, I really love how they've handled Lobo. Good, yeah, I liked I liked his character he, because he popped up in the first and second episode of this yep. season, and uh, he's been good. Yeah, but I've seen yeah. him, I liked. I think they did a great job with bringing Lobo to the screen. Yeah. Uh, I've been really happy with Krypton. I enjoyed a lot of the first season, and this season, I'm uh, so far I'm enjoying the story quite a bit. Hmm. Um, I look forward to getting caught up on it, and then we'll chat about it on a future episode. But before we hop off of this book um, and move over to, to some Marvel stuff, um, for me, it's hard to... Like, my favorite interpretation of Krypton and my favorite interpretation of the destruction of Krypton, oddly enough, comes from uh, Paul Dini and Bruce Timm in that first uh, Superman animated series, couple, you know, miniseries. Um, you know, that, that they, they basically spent the first two full episodes 
of the Superman cartoon talk, you know, telling the story of the destruction of Krypton. Um, That's also my favorite origin of Brainiac. Yeah, same here. Um, I, and I think they, the, the way they tied all that together um, really genuinely worked for me. And you got to spend some time with his parents. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I, I, it's, so it's hard for me to, to, to see a, a different interpretation of it that doesn't just capture the right essence of it um, like that did. Uh, so, you know, there's definitely something going on. There's more of a conspiracy here. And I'm still, you know, this still isn't, this is nowhere near the quality of writing that I'm getting from the action comics, Lois Lane books, um, right. side of the house. But it's still intriguing. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the art on it, Rogelzar is still basically just Doomsday 2. Uh-huh. But I, I'm still with, with a hair lip. Yeah, with a hair lip. <laughs> uh, but you know, I, I'm I'm still on board to, to continue through this storyline. Well, uh, a first issue came out this week uh, from Marvel. I, is this the only Marvel book we read? No, it's not the only Marvel book we read this week. But uh, uh, it is Invisible Woman, uh, featuring uh, Susan Storm. I was not originally going to pick this book up until I saw oh. It's written by Mark Wade. Uh, my concern is that, you know, I think that Sue Storm is a difficult character to write. And uh, I think few writers do a good job of it. And had this been somebody that I didn't know, uh, I might not have picked it up. In fact, I likely would not have. But Mark Wade is somebody I've got a lot of faith in. I love Mark Wade's writing. And yeah, I know he, uh, you do as well, Wayne. Yep. He may not always hit it out of the park, but he always gets at least the first issue from me. Yeah. Um, and, and the I gotta... art on this, the art previews, the preview pages showed mm-hmm. what the art was going to look like. And I and, am in love with this art. And I am not familiar with the artist, uh, Mattia de Iulis. I'm sure I'm uh, pronouncing that incorrectly. But you're right. The, the artwork was fantastic. Um, the story starts up with uh, in Europe and some folks are trying to cross a security checkpoint. And you really have uh, – uh, I was really having a hard time kind of placing it. But it, the, the story tells us that this is 10 years ago. And it is uh, – we find that it's Sue Storm in disguise. And, you know, well, why is Sue Storm in disguise when she can turn invisible? Well, she is helping someone get out of the country who is invisible, who she has made invisible. And, you know, the the – uh, her powers are not yet as developed as we know them today. Uh, but she, and you know, in fact, the, the Nick Fury that we see is the original Nick Fury, not the current, uh, uh, Nick Fury the, who, you know, modeled on the ultimate universe. Um, but it's this, it's this great, you know, fleeing, you know, the oppression of an enemy country, uh, and Sue Storm being Sue Storm super spy. Yeah, it made perfect sense to me. It's like, why wouldn't Nick Fury recruit her for missions right when she has the ultimate spy power? And I love this this being early in her career. Things like, uh, you know, I can do force fields, too, but I'm just learning. Don't distract me. And just the weaknesses of her power at this point Mm -hmm. were like she's in the snow and you can see them because they're in the snow and the snow is falling around them. And I like this early Sue quite a bit as a way to start the story. Well, and I love how they, you know, sort of, you know, uh, put the, they dot the I and cross the T on how early they are in it when they do the big one page, uh, you know, pinup 
of Sue in her original Fantastic Four suit, right? Yeah. You know, where it just looks like that, fa- that, that, you know, non-gen- uh, non-gender specific, you know, garment that uh, is just so plain. Yeah, and I love that. I thought that was just super effective. And then it cuts to today, the Sue that we know today, who, you know, m- many times writers take take it from the position that she's the most powerful member of the team. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just I really feel like this book honors her talking about her role as an adventurer, a mother, a wife, a sister, a friend. I mean, she has got this this full life. She's everything in this book, Paul that Lara is not in the Superman book. Yeah, and I was worried for a moment, uh, and I shouldn't have been because it's Mark Wade, and I know how strongly he feels about this. But when Sue pulls out the gun and aims it at someone, right? I had that moment of, are they going to turn her into, you know, a super spy, hardcore killer? And they don't. Yeah. That is her one rule working with Nick Fury is that she doesn't kill. Well, and, and that's the that's the big conflict that they're setting up in this book because she's being called back into, you know, the, the, the espionage life because her partner from 10 years ago has gone missing. And so she's going in to save him. And, and you know, Nick Fury, too, warns her, you know, you may have to cross some lines. Yeah. I really appreciate having both Nick Furies in here. I did, too. And did the too. specific reference of, you know, talking about his dad that they call that out in here and yep. not just, you know, have both of them without mentioning who the new one is. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I dug this book a lot. I really did. In fact, if this had been a week without Batman universe, this would have been my book of the week. You know, I, I, I thought this was a super strong book. I'm so excited to, to read the other, the other, uh, uh, issues of this. Yeah. Very much to here too. I, absolutely love this i love this take on sue i think wade did a good job of capturing young sue and modern sue yeah and i'm excited to see her team up with black widow same here same here so paul you missed a good one i I would recommend picking this up when you get a chance is it a series or a one shot it's a mini series Hmm. all right i'll give it a shot it's super good. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, it's really a counterpoint to what they do with, you know, Lara L over in the, the Superman books because Sue is just wildly competent. And I have book. always loved Sue as the badass. Uh-huh. I, I really one of my favorite Fantastic Four runs was when they thought Reed was dead. Mm-hmm. And Sue stepped up as the leader of the group and yep. uh, her powers expanded her role expanded and it showed that she really is the most powerful of the batch. Yep. Yep. Hmm. I love Sue. I love Sue. I love the many facets of Sue and, uh, you know, I, and legit, I like the way we've seen her grow, grow up through the Marvel continuity. You know, she, she is a, a character with a real arc. She has changed over the years. And I think this book demonstrates that nicely. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I will give it a shot before issue two comes out. Very good. Well, uh, a one shot came out from Marvel this week that I think that Aaron you picked up as well. Um, yep. Wolverine versus Blade from Mark Guggenheim and Dave Wilkins. We talked about this at the end of last week's show. Um, that you know, it's we 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 like both characters and we like Mark Guggenheim, and so you know, I, we decided to give it a shot. And Aaron was 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 our was our foray into. Into vamp Marvel's vampire world, worth it? 
worth the four ninety nine no. price of admission? No, no, it wasn't. No, this I was a piece of shit. Book. Yeah, God, this was this garbage. Book was crap. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I hated this. I uh, and not the least of which I hated was the art. Um, yeah, you know there there is a lot of emphasis placed on the you know character art. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, as you would expect, I mean, it's a comic book for crying out loud, but there is so little work uh, placed on background. Yeah. The backgrounds are beautifully colored, but it's all atmosphere. There's, yeah. you know, very little architecture, very little setting. It's just all explosions of color. And uh, as hard as Guggenheim is writing this book, it couldn't save it. The storytelling is just bad. In fact, there are things where the character has to say something so that you understand what the hell happened on the panel. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, I I hated this book. And so many times the characters felt like they were looking to camera, you know? Yeah. Uh, Who is the guy? It felt like something from the 90s, but like even worse written than that. Yeah. Well, who's that guy who draws the uh, the who, who draws his women all based off of models? Uh, uh, Greg Land. I can't remember his, oh, Greg Land. Yeah. That's what this felt like to me, and I can't stand his artwork either. Yeah, uh, that's a good. That's a good comparison. Uh, yeah, I, and, I genuinely didn't care for this book at all. And I don't care for Jokey Blade. No, it didn't I, work. That for is me. that does not that does not feel correct to me. And I know that Blade has lightened up over the years, but I you know I like a a more broody, somber Blade. You know, Blade joking about, "Hey, I brought marshmallows." And Wolverine going, that's an old joke, bub. And you know, Blade's like, no, no, who's joking? And produces a marshmallow. Yeah, at this point, I don't – I just don't like Blade in the comics anymore. Well, and I got to say and that the, I vampires, used to. the vampire stuff that I've read recently um, just seems awfully half-assed to me. Yeah. Um, I know they, you know they, they did an arc in Avengers, and it didn't work for me there either. No. No, it, it, there were some good elements there. But it just it didn't land. And I, I think it's because they're just they, they want to write a vampire book, but they don't want to put the work in, you know, okay. and I, that's what it feels. That's what this felt like to me. I like I Blade back in Tomb of Dracula. I like uh, Blade back in uh, like the, you know, the Midnight Suns era. Yeah. Where right. I with Dark Home and all of that. But I haven't liked anything they've done with Blade in the comics in the last at this point, almost 20 years. Been a while. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, so honestly, just can't recommend it. And thankfully, it was a one shot. I almost didn't finish it. Honestly, I was just like, "This is garbage." Like, why am I still reading this? I'm like, "It's well, just one story. Finish it off." If I hadn't been stuck in the airport, I probably wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Oh well, you can't win them all. Um, but I, I did take a chance on a different book this week: uh, Star Wars: Age of Resistance. Um, it's the series of one shots uh, from Marvel Comics, and um, they all kind of take place. Well, I shouldn't say that. The one I read this week took place in between, right, kind of right before the events of Episode Seven, uh, The Force Awakens. And so, the one I read this week was Finn Number One, but they also have um, an Age of Resistance special featuring uh, like BB-8 and Holdo and Maz Kanata. They have a Poe Dameron one, a General Hux one, and a Captain Phasma one. And you know, I normally I haven't been really reading the Marvel Star Wars stuff for a while now, other than you know I I, I was deep into. Um, Crap, the character's name that I can't remember anymore. Uh, the one that Kieran Gillen created. 
Oh, uh, Dr. Dr. Afra. Afra? Yeah, yeah, I was deep into Dr. Afra for a while, but dropped out after he left. And so I really haven't been reading it regularly. But what interested me about these books is that they are five one-shots written by Tom Taylor. And uh, I really like Tom Taylor. He's the, the writer on Deceased. He wrote um, the, I think he wrote Vision for Marvel as well. Uh, Injustice, like I, 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 he he does some really great work. So I, I picked up this Finn book, and uh, while it's certainly not the dark, deep, emotional storytelling that you'll get in Deceased or Vision, this was a fun little one shot, and and I'm really glad I picked it up. Um, I think the cover price is three ninety nine or something like that, and honestly, you could probably wait till it's on sale. Uh, to pick it up, but it's a fun little story. Uh, it, it's a little bit more insight into the character of Finn. It doesn't change your opinion of the character or how the universe works. It's not you're not going to get any deep seated secrets from the Star Wars universe in the story. But if you're a fan of the new movies or at least the Force Awakens, um, I, I I I recommend it. Finn number one. Um, like I said, it's, it's a one shot written by Tom Taylor. Fun little story. So I enjoyed it. So, Paul, we picked up a very weird book this week. Well, you know, this was a... So the book Second Coming, number one, came out uh, from Comics Ahoy, or Ahoy Comics. Now, it was originally going to be published by DC Comics Vertigo line. And, it, you know, basically, you know, what happened, what had happened was, um, was that DC printed a comic with Batman's penis in it, and the world erupted, and so DC really put a kibosh on anything controversial, uh, super controversial, including things like religion. Yep. And so this book and was canceled a really, from Vertigo. Yeah, there's a really good author's note at the end. I read through all of it, mm -hmm. and he talks about that, not specifically Bat Penis or DC Comics, but that, you know, his the publisher, you know, made him not, you know, basically canceled him, and he had to go find someone else, and... It was a very good behind-the-curtain glance. Yeah. So, you know, I, I picked it up as well. And, uh, you know, I, Wayne, I don't know about you, but I, I hated this book. I I really enjoyed parts of it. <laughs> so I can't say I enjoyed any of it. Um, I, at first I, I thought, okay, well, there's some quirky, you know, religious humor in here. Um, but, like, I feel like this book would drive Aaron mad. <laughs> Very possible, and you know, and Aaron likes a good religious humor. Yeah, um, I was I, uh, I was surprised by the level of nudity right away. Like, you know, besides just seeing Eve's ass and boobs, there is Adam stretching out his penis in the one of the scenes, fully drawn. Yeah. So that, that <laughs> and the uh, the fruit of good and evil are. Two trees, one of them is fruit that looks like a penis, and one of them is fruit that looks like vaginas. Yeah. So that kind of surprised me. But what I liked about the book, Paul, I really liked Jesus. I liked his character, seeing him grow up on Earth. Uh, the follow-up to his best friend, the you know giving him the carpenter business. And then the, the carpenter ends up doing nothing but making crosses after a while. And that his best friend makes the cross that he dies on. I I really enjoyed everything about that. I really hated everything about the superhero. 
Yeah, you know, for for me, and I think this is why I say that I don't think Aaron would care for this book. Um, it when it comes to religious humor, I, I find that I enjoy religious humor when it's well researched. Uh, and yes, you can tell, you know, there, there's clearly someone here who has an affinity for for the gospel, but at the same time, it doesn't really necessarily feel it feels lazy to me. Like some of the writing, like this, like I could write this. Um, it, it, you know, like I wouldn't take a stab at religious humor because you know I'm not as well versed in everything. Uh, but I could write this with with my even with my lack of knowledge of of, of everything. And so for me, I, I just didn't really care for it. Like it, it seemed um, just too easy. And I, you know, Jesus as a character, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I did enjoy. I shouldn't say enjoy, but I, I did like the the storyline that they had with his friend. But, yeah, because like their take on God is, I'm with you there. Anyone could have written this. It's a mindless, pointless take on God. But I think they really captured Jesus, and that's what I liked about the book. But I hated everything about the superhero part. So I don't like the. I don't think I'm going to continue it because it's led up now to the basically buddy cop. Jesus and the superhero for the rest of the storyline, and I really don't like the superhero. I yeah, I don't. But, I don't have an interest in where this story goes. No, but I think they did a really good job of capturing the essence of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Just the the character. I I liked how he was handled. I liked the things that he was doing. I I think that they really captured that. They just made a really unlikable superhero. Yeah. And they tried to make him likable in dealing with, like, the grief and guilt of not finding the plane that crashed. But instead of becoming, you know, instead of it adding to the character, it just made him come off as whiny and irresponsible. Yeah. It's, I don't know, I like, I'm, I I enjoyed the essay at the, 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 the back because it was very honest and about what happened. But I'm not, I don't have an interest in reading the storyline. So I picked it up out of curiosity, but, you know, it, there wasn't yeah. enough there to bring me back for a second issue. Well, this was a case of the preview pages are not the first few pages because the first few pages, way too much nudity for them to have as the yeah. preview page. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I'm not kidding about that, Aaron. There is a panel here where in the back, Adam is stretching out his penis. And he doesn't know what to do with right, it. Yeah, it's right there on screen with Eve standing there with her perky boobs and trying to uh, lawyer God. Hmm. Hmm. Well, this book you've described sounds terrible. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it is. So don't read. Well, next so week, Paul, hopefully, we'll get some good books. Uh, you're not supposed to talk about next week until I say, so, Paul, yes, what's coming out next week? Oh, well, okay. Well, actually, Aaron, I need to talk to you about something. Oh, dear. So, Are we having the talk? <laughs> no, we had that talk. <laughs> um, so next week is Ragnarok, the breaking of Helheim. Um, so the, Walt Simonson has been doing this uh, Ragnarok series for IDW, um, uh-huh. writing and drawing uh, this Ragnarok series, and I haven't I haven't picked it up. And this is the the second mini series related to that. Um, now I'm not asking if you have an interest in picking that up, but IDW does have a sale going on right now and if you're a Comixology Unlimited member, you can actually read the first volume for free 
Do you have any interest in Walt Simonson's Ragnarok storyline? I do. In fact, I actually have a couple of issues of that. So if it's out there free, I'll finish up. Yeah. So the, I'll, I'll pick up the first volume. Um, yeah. Ragnarok number volume one, Last God Standing. Uh, I, I know you are a huge fan of the, the Norse mythology. Well, I, I don't mean to exclude Simonson. you, Wayne. I just, I know, I, I, I think Aaron, or I think Wayne, you're a Simonson fan. Um, so you're, you're welcome to join in the conversation. I just know that scratches uh, Aaron where he itches. In fact, I'm itching right now, Paul. <laughs> well, th- that's that's unrelated. Um, <laughs> but it is still related to Paul. Yes. <laughs> All right. So we'll, we'll talk about Ragnarok. Not the new one, but, you know, the, the, the original miniseries after we get caught up on it. Uh, also out next week, The Orville, number one. Um, Dark Horse Comics got the rights to do uh, Orville comic books. Um, and so executive producer of the Orville, David Goodman, uh, will be writing a new Orville miniseries starting next week. Uh, the Orville number one, New Beginnings, part one. I don't know. I'll check out the preview pages. Those things are, are usually genuinely shitty. Yeah. <laughs> so so it, it's, it's unlikely we'll talk about it. But if it looks good, uh, I may check it out. Uh, from DC Comics, we have uh, the new issue of Justice League as we, you know, uh, continue that storyline. Batman number like, six. Oh, go ahead. I feel like every other issue of Justice League is good now. Yeah. Uh, it, it seems like, oh, man, this is great. And then the next issue comes along and it, it, and it sucks. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's kind of that's kind of my issue with Justice League right now. No, you're 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 really accurate there. Um, and speaking of, uh, you know, inconsistent books, City of Bane kicks off next week in Batman issue 75. Uh, this is Tom King's last arc on Batman on the main Batman title before he ends his storyline in that Batman one uh, Batman Catwoman uh, maxi series. But that that's coming out from DC Comics next week. Batman number 75. Um, also from DC Comics, Jimmy Olsen number one from Woo-hoo! Matt Fraction and Steve Lieber. Wait. Oh, I'm excited about that one. Um, and a couple of interesting uh black edition or black label edition uh trade paperbacks or or um you know graphic novels come out next week uh the joker the 10th anniversary edition of the brian azarello lieber mayho um storyline uh that comes out next week from dc black label as well as swamp thing roots of terror deluxe edition which collects a number of storylines from uh swamp thing winter special swamp thing halloween horror giant cursed comics cavalcade um, and Young Monsters in Love. It's a bunch of Swamp Thing short stories. It's $12.99, but it has stories from Brian Azzarello, Tom King, Mark Russell, Tim Seeley, um, Greg Capullo, Jason Fabox, Fraser Irving, Kelly Jones. Um, and I've, I've read a, a couple of these, but having them collected intrigues me, uh, especially since the cover price is only $12.99. Uh, so I, I may see what, what actually is collected in that book and uh, check into that because I'm a big Swamp Thing fan. Um, outside of the DC Comics verse, uh, Marvel continues the uh, Invaders storyline with Invaders number seven. That's the start of the second story arc of the book that we thought was only a six issue miniseries. <laughs> um, but there are at least nine issues because I see solicitations for issue nine. Um, and one I'm, more. I'm down for it. I'm still in. So. Yeah, I'm going to pick it up as well. And one more thing that I want to mention, and I mentioned this a while back. Um, which is uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, written by Roy Thomas, art by Mike Mignola, was a, a book that Mike Mignola did back in 1992 and is still probably one of my favorite comics adaptations of any movie, um, as well as one of my favorite Mike Mignola books. And they are uh, collecting a new edition um, 
in you know in full color. Uh, it's the last work that Mignola did before hopping into Hellboy, uh, and that comes out next week from IDW for the low, low cover price of seven forty nine. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So that's a, that's a good price if you've never read that book. Yeah. And that's a Very that's good. it. Bunch of stuff. Very good. Well, uh, I think that there are some uh, some 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 really strong books that came out this week. Hopefully, next week will be the same. We'll see. Dun, dun, dun. Um, yeah, if yeah. not, we'll have plenty of news to talk about. That's true. Damn Next week, San Diego Comic Con. San Diego. Very exciting. All right, guys, you have a good week. You too. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. Mm-hmm.